Rendell Solomon had it all. He was a managing director for asset manager Muller & Monroe in Chicago. He was a lively presence at private equity industry conferences. And as the African-American son of a mother who made $40,000 a year while raising her three children on the west side of Chicago, he was a great American success story. But after the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor at the hands of police, and the wave of protests that shook the nation earlier this year, Rendell turned a corner. In today's episode, Rendell discusses why he, a young, successful, and dynamic figure in the private equity industry, decided to walk away from it all, and what he has to say to the industry where he spent over a decade. I'm Justin Mitchell with Buyouts, and this is Spotlight. I've enjoyed the time in this industry. I've learned so much, met some amazing individuals, and worked with tremendous organizations. Uh, however, I do think the industry as a whole still has a lot of work to do as it relates to equity and inclusion. And quite frankly, I just kind of got tired of the struggle and the fight within the industry, as well as the constraints placed on me related to the struggle and fight outside of the industry. So from education to housing to healthcare to criminal justice, I just began having this intense desire to do more than what I was capable of doing while working full time in this role. So I think the industry has an opportunity I think it plays a role in these issues. I've just decided that me being inside of it in this way wasn't the best format for me to use my time, talent, uh, and treasure. Rendell plans to take some time to reflect, read, and network as he tries to figure out his next step. The plight of black people in America is nothing new for him. His grandparents picked cotton in Mississippi before moving to Chicago as part of the Great Migration. He and his two sisters are the first generation of their family to attend college. He's thankful for his success, but he knows it's not enough. My success is not enough as it relates to the plight of African-Americans across the country. Uh, in fact, at times, I feel that my continued success actually exacerbates the issue. I used to believe that if I just went to school, got good grades, came out, got a good job and made good money, that I could somehow make all of that stuff go away, all the bad stuff that happens for black people. For many African-Americans, Rendell feels personal success often means not saying what you are thinking on a lot of issues. He uses a famous example of Michael Jordan choosing not to endorse a Democratic challenger to Senator Jesse Helms in the 1990s because, quote, Republicans buy sneakers too. Now, I don't begrudge Michael Jordan his decision. I use that as an example to say something that uh, many of us as African-Americans face inside of organizations or as entities where we're making a decision between our livelihood and sort of who we are as individuals. We've all had that moment where we want to say something, perhaps about society, perhaps about racial injustice. And the fear is that if we say that thing, it could have a detrimental impact on our career or somehow negatively impact the firm. Leaving the industry has freed Rendell to share his thoughts about how it is doing in terms of giving opportunities to marginalized groups. I think the industry is doing a good job of talking, all caps, about diversity and inclusion. But quite frankly, if I can be candid, there's probably not enough action. I'm a retired engineer who now works in the, was working in the financial services industry. 
The real question is, are the numbers really moving? We still have senior leadership teams that are all white male, boards that are all white male, investment staff that is all white male. There are specific institutions, both in terms of limited partners and general partners, that are taking active steps to improve diversity in terms of hiring and asset allocation. It's a small subset of the overall asset class that's doing real active work, not just talking about it, but doing some active work. I think that's why the numbers are still a paltry 1.3% of capital being allocated to racially diverse and women-owned firms. Rendell says one way to fix that is transparency. A group called the Diverse Asset Managers Initiative has been sending a survey out every year to investment consultants, which saw a decline in the percentage of respondents in 2019. He would also like to see the Securities and Exchange Commission modify its filing requirements so that GPs must share their diversity statistics for senior leadership, mid-level managers, and junior-level employees. As for LPs, Rendell praised a few for having transparent policies about encouraging diversity and inclusion, including New York State Common Retirement Fund, which Muller & Monroe works with on its Emerging Manager program, as well as California State Teachers Retirement System and the Illinois Pension Funds. But a lot of the time, Rendell feels capital allocators are suffering from hidden biases in how they hand out commitments, with more diverse investment managers getting the short end of the stick. The tricky part about implicit bias is that it's just that, it's implicit. And the fact that it's implicit then makes it hard to prove that there actually is bias there. Because it's not that someone is saying or doing something that's explicitly biased. Hey, you, woman. Hey, you, African-American. I don't think you know how to invest well. No one's ever saying that. Here's how implicit bias rears its ugly head. We don't allocate capital to firms less than a billion dollars. If an institution says that, and you have a group, namely women and diverse-owned firms, who historically have not had a chance to grow their firms, you create a system that automatically keeps them out of the process of having an opportunity to manage your capital. Now, there may be some logical, rational reasons for putting a cap or increasing the amount of AUM that a firm has to have. Maybe there's more organizational stability. They have more resources for hiring and talent. But it just becomes this circular effect that further and further limits opportunity for diverse firms. Uh, another form of implicit bias, and this is something that is said often in the industry, whenever the issue of diversity is brought up, whether it's a consultant or an allocator, the immediate response is, well, we can't really consider that. We have a fiduciary responsibility. That one I've never fully understood because in no other area of business do you not assess all the risk, right? It's all part of a big risk component, the size, the track record and everything else. But for some reason, when it's brought up that diverse firms don't manage much capital for the organization, the response is we can't find any. We have a fiduciary responsibility. We can't look at, we can't look at that. And that's frustrating. That is how implicit bias rears its ugly head in terms of limiting opportunity for women and people of color to enter the process and to have an opportunity. And then when it boils down to actually making a decision to make an allocation, there's always rationale for why that organization should not be given an opportunity to manage capital.
While Rendell is moving on from private equity, he does think private capital has a role to play in solving the racial inequalities built into our system. Private capital is going to be crucial in addressing these systemic issues. This doesn't absolve corporations and government of their responsibility, but I think all three have to work together to find long-lasting solutions. Like, how do we create new systems, long-lasting solutions to address these issues, recognizing that as all of those groups do better and have more resources, theoretically, it should only serve to further bolster our economy. But that shouldn't be the only reason to do it. It should be done because it's the right thing to do, period, full stop. But because of our capitalist society and how metrics and numbers and shareholder value and public companies and bottom line and net IRR and multiples, once all that data starts to get thrown in, somehow this idea of diversity and inclusion starts to get looked at as a detractor from those things, as opposed to something that is going to lift all of those numbers up. And so I think that the role of private capital is to continue to uh, create ecosystems, new structures that are going to advance this cause of diversity and inclusion. And so I know you guys talk a lot about uh, ESG and its advent. It's been around for a while, environmental, social and governance concerns to the extent that those types of principles become infused in the private capital process. I think that is one of the most significant ways that private capital can play a role in addressing racial inequities. But Rendell says none of that will be enough, that somehow the historical inequalities and injustices faced by African-Americans and other marginalized groups will have to be dealt with, and that will not be easy. When you add up all of that time that's been lost, all of that extraction of value, all of that denial of opportunity, to simply say, okay, Rendell, you can play now, it's not enough. Something has to be made up for what was taken before. And those are the kinds of questions Rendell will be wrestling with now as he embarks on his life's next chapter. That's all for this episode. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, and PEI's various titles online. For Buyouts, I'm Justin Mitchell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>